1: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show.
2: And The Exchange does begin right now. I am Brian Sullivan in once again. Thank you, everybody, and welcome. The tech-treasury battle continues. Investors fleeing high-valuation names as yields jump a lot. Who will win this tug-of-war that literally has trillions of dollars on the line? Baseball, Moneyball, and Bitcoin. The Oakland A's becoming the first Major League Baseball team to accept the crypto as payment. We'll speak with the team's president about that bold move and why they're doing it. Some big money going after coal. They say it's time for the retailer to refresh. But coal's is telling them to hit the road. We'll talk about this brewing retail. Brew-ha-ha. All that ahead, plus continued good news on vaccinations and hospitalizations. They are dropping across America. We'll get to all that over the next hour, but let us begin, as always, with your money, as rates rise, they continue to pressure some technology stocks, and I assume, Dom,
3: that is why you are looking at some technology stocks. Absolutely right. So, so you can see here the underperformance is still happening with the Nasdaq Composite down nearly two percent right now, one and three quarters percent. We're just off of the worst levels of the session so far. But the Dow Industrials continuing to outperform triple-digit gains there. For the S&P 500 on a more kind of balanced basis, we were down five points at the highs and down 31 at the lows. So You can see tilted more towards the lower end of things in that range today. Still, though, a bit of a mixed market value outperforming. Interest rate's a key part of that story. We've shown you over the past several days the 30-year long bond, the 10-year Treasury note, all of those yields coming into play. Well, here's the difference between short-term rates on the 2-year Treasury and the 10-year Treasury longer term rates, you can see over the last six years they've been pretty much in decline. But just look over the last several months here, that sharp move higher. This, by the way, puts this difference in yields between long-term and short-term interest rates at the highest levels going all the way back to 2015. That's been beneficial for certain parts of the market like the banks, but certainly not, Brian, to your point. The big tech tech, big cap technology stocks. Look at Apple, which is down about two and one-thirds percent. Microsoft, they're down about two percent. Amazon down two percent. Alphabet nearly down two percent as well. Collectively, Brian, these particular moves are the most important because these four stocks make up 36 percent of the Nasdaq 100. So if you are invested in QQQ, Q, Q, that ETF, 36 percent is driven by these four stocks. That's why they're important. Valuations matter, especially with interest rates. Brian, I'll send things back over to you.
2: Uh, we're not done with you yet, Dom, because actually there's something I think occurring in the markets, which is kind of important and maybe kind of cool. And it was a worry years ago. And, and I will admit that I was one of the guys that was, I, it's hard to say, wrong about this. I didn't think the market could go up if those and a few other big cap tech stocks went down. Because as you noted, their weight in all the major indexes and the ETFs is so great that if they were down, no way the others could pick up the slack. I'm happy to be wrong. It's kind of cool, Dom, that the Dow is up. Not a lot, but it's up lately,
3: even as Apple goes down. Maybe there are other stocks that can pull the cart. Not maybe. There are other stocks. One of the interesting parts to look at, and and, and the the broadening of the rally is something that a lot of experts have been weighing in on. They're, They're actually saying it's healthy for the market when it's not just 10 stocks that determine the entire outlook of it. If you look at some ETFs that track the equal weight index of the S&P 500, the RSP, that's the ticker there versus SPY, it shows you that on an equal weight basis, the entire S&P 500 is actually doing better if you strip out the negative effects of just yeah. those mega cap tech companies. So that rotation towards value stocks, that tilt towards beaten up names, this broadening out of the base for the rally may actually indicate perhaps to some folks out there, that this has legs because more types of companies are participating. It's not just those handful of stocks that have been darlings for, I would argue, yeah. the better part of a decade plus at this point, Bry.
2: I'm looking now, throw up a year chart of Goldman Sachs. We probably don't have time. GS, Goldman Sachs is up 150 percent in 12 months, Dom, printing money for investors. JPM and Goldman leading the doubt. Look at
3: Look at how good you I say it and it happens you're right like, there you're magic 153 percent over the last year. And by the way, J.P. Morgan Chase not too far wow. from a record high right now as well. Big banks and oil and gas stocks leading the market in 2021. Who to thunk it?
2: Dom Chu, thank you very much. All right. So as Dom said, the stock market and your money out there are really kind of being controlled by the bond vigilantes right now. Bonds move and so do stocks. And despite all the moves, though, Fed Chair Jay Powell made it clear yesterday he is not ready to step in. Here's what he said to our own Steve Leisman about the rise in rates. We monitor a broad range of financial
4: conditions, and we're always attentive to market developments, of course. We're still a long way from our goals, and it's important that financial conditions do remain accommodative to support the achievement of those goals.
2: All right, let's now bring in Rick Santelli. And Rick, I kind of semi-jokingly tweeted out yesterday that unless Powell and the other Fed chairs are going to work at a vaccination clinic and literally put the jab in people's arms, I'm not sure what monetary policy is going to do. We don't have a financial crisis like a wait. What we've got is a pandemic and 30 million or so people that don't travel and hospitality and leisure has been completely decimated while the rest of the economy kind of hums along. This is not some kind of textbook recession. Right. I mean, I don't do you think the Fed is going to nail this one and get it right because they're approaching it like it's kind of a financial crisis when it's not.
5: No, no. And by the way, I'm not trying to be overly kind because I always call it the way I see it. But Steve's three part question actually was a good question. The issue I had was that I thought the chairman did kind of a Fred Astaire answer. He was kind of dancing around the issues. Listen, no Fed person in the world Past, present, or future is going to be able to thread the needle on any of this. Uh, These policies are going to have costs. And these costs are going to be charged to everybody in the U.S. economy and maybe in the global economy over the future years. We have definitely pulled forward many things, whether it's activity, whether it's housing. But at the end of the day, you're correct. This is a one-off, and we're dealing with it in ways to make sure and overcompensate that we do five scoops too many instead of one scoop too less. And maybe that's the way you're supposed to think about it if you're Jay Powell or you're uh, Christine Lagarde. But at the end of this dance, when the music stops and the gasoline starts to combust throughout the global economy with the U.S. leading the way, they are going to have one heck of a time finding enough fire engines to keep things contained.
2: Yeah, we're going to find out. And listen, I I also tweeted out last night, Rick, that I think we'll have 5% unemployment, almost full employment by the end of the year. As long as the variants don't take over and we all get out, the economy could boom. We're going to find out. It's going to make a lot of rich people even richer over those years because of these rates. You know what? what?
5: It's not about about rich or poor. You know what it's about? It's about people who haven't even been born yet, that haven't even cashed a check yet, that already have a bill. That's what it's about.
2: Yeah, the deficits never been this high, except for maybe a brief period in the Revolutionary War and World War II, as a percentage of GDP. Rick Santelli.
5: Well, only these percentages. Yeah, the numbers with the trillions—they're they're out of control. We should come up with an analogy to try to get our arms around 1.9 trillion every day, so that the politicians who all voted for this understand exactly the humongous dimensions that they put the country under. Yeah, the Fed's balance sheet is almost double
2: the annual budget of the United States of America. Seven or eight unelected officials running a balance sheet twice as big as the entire nation. who to thunk it? Rick Santelli. Well, I don't Thank know. You. Do you
5: really want some of the elected officials in charge of that balance sheet? Seriously. I'm going to move on. Rick Santelli. There you, you go. All right.
2: <laughs> I try to stay out of the world. I po- need a shower after talking politics. All right. As this tug of war continues to play out between technology and treasuries, is it a winner-take-all market or really can both settle down and make your portfolio thrive? Let us ask two Jameses. James McDonald is CEO and CIO of Hercules Investments. And James Camp, Director of Strategic Income, Managing Director of Fixed Income for Eagle Asset. James Camp, I will begin with you because you're talking bonds, we're talking fixed income, you're talking rate rises, we're talking the Fed. What is that? $7 $7 trillion or $6 trillion on the balance sheet stimulus, maybe a $2 trillion infrastructure package coming in. What is that going to do to the bond market? Is there global demand for our debt so we don't have to worry about the deficit, at least not for a while?
4: Well, Brian, it's good to be with you. And I think Rick hit on something pretty important. If you try to figure out what $1.9 trillion means, I'll say it this way. It means that the collapse between potential and real GDP is upon us. And once you get to that point because of this massive stimulus, you're going to get inflation, you're going to get shortages, you already have commodity prices at decade highs, and you're going to see Treasury yields back up. If the market were not arbitrating this in the form of long-term rates going higher, I would have genuine concerns. But right now, as we really forecast, because of the out-of-phase nature between Fed policy and fiscal policy, we're going to overcook it.
2: James McDonald, do, do we have to look at the market differently? Because as I said earlier, it's not a sort of a run-of-the-mill recession, right? It's not a great financial crisis. It's financial devastation for 20, 10 or 20 million families that work in industries that have been decimated. The rest of the economy seems to be doing fairly well. Do we need to look at this very differently? And if so, how do we tweak our thinking?
6: These are extraordinary times, and when... The paradox of the greatest threat to humanity in our lifetime, perhaps, came in triggers the greatest financial comeback and, in terms of stock prices, greatest rallies on record. Um, the paradox is unreal. We saw an alignment and correlation of deaths and rates of infection lock step up with the S and P five hundred and the Dow and the Nasdaq. We saw the risk growing and the market's growing and there's a disconnect and there's never been a greater disconnect to rick's earlier point uh, between main street and wall street there are going to be consequences for this uh, stimulus but we had to do it we had to come in and save the economy from uh going off the cliff with us not being able to operate as normal and so we have to look at the market differently both monetary policy valuations uh and portfolio asset construction as well everything is different now well, and I, I, I agree
2: with you, James McDonald. I'll stay with you. I mean, and I've actually said we should have given $20,000 checks to restaurant, hotel, travel and small businesses that were de- absolutely decimated rather than sort of sprinkle it equally. But that's a whole different argument and spilt milk under the bridge, as they say. So, so James McDonald, how do we look at it then? Do we look at this, this unprecedented intervention as just a reason to own stocks long and strong all day long.
6: Right. So what it's done is it's catalyzed a a herd mentality. And in behavioral finance, we see patterns of of people crowding into a sentiment. And it could be a bullish sentiment or a bearish sentiment. And to the earlier analysis, the fangs and all big tech have started to come down. They just took the bull market somewhere else. The Dow has broken out. The S&P has broken out. And what we find now is a mentality that there's money to be made going long uh and it's finding a home and i think yeah. that we see uh pressure here on the russell finally uh in the last couple of days but the dow broke out people are finding areas to make money and pushing stocks are pushing areas higher dow transports are breaking out <clears throat> it's a bull market and that bull market is going to yeah. persist to find pockets of strength I guess
2: James Camp, you forgive me. I'm getting old. I'm like the guy yelling at the clouds, get off my lawn. I mean, when I look at double BB- B-minus debt trading at like three and a half percent, I just, you know, I just wonder. You know, companies that people thought were going to go bankrupt two years ago now have debt that's trading like their AAA balance sheets. I mean, how does this end?
4: Well, Brian, the triage part of the the, the financial crisis or the COVID crisis, the recession of choices. I think you've correctly sort of uh, intimated was record corporate bond issuance because the fed opened up the purses and in that corporate space they have gotten very comfortable operating as triple b operators the majority of corporate debt is now triple b the issue is going to be all of those are not created equal. they have different leverage they have different dividend policy they have different balance sheet management in fact business operations so when we look at income generation triple b is not bad but you better understand the leverage that you're taking when you're generating income, either with a debt instrument in the form of a bond or a dividend stock, which we are very bullish on to, your, to the other James's point. The rotation is happening. The income lag of 2020, which was historic, is now catching up. If any of these balance sheets from great American companies were conservatively managed in the form of dividend policy, and that income acceleration yeah. on the equity side is going to happen.
2: James Camp, James McDonald, both of you kind of saying the same thing, that there will be a piper that needs to be paid, but it's not right now. James, James is. Thank you both very much, guys. Have a great day.
4: Thank you, Brian.
2: All right. Well, speaking of interest rates and the Fed, RBC out with a list of stocks that could be winners if the Fed lets inflation run hot. For those names, you got to head over to CNBC.com slash pro. Some interesting picks there. All right. We've got a market flash for you and a big possible deal. Look at Hartford Financial jumping. Bloomberg reporting that Chubb, the huge insurance company, is exploring a deal to potentially buy Hartford Financial for as much as $21 billion. Hartford briefly halted on that report. It's trading now. It's up 11%. Chubb actually is higher despite being the reported potential buyer. Again, no deal yet. But the report is a Chubb sniffing around Heart, the Hartford. We'll watch that stock now up 12%. All right, on deck. Baseball meets Bitcoin. The Oakland A's accepting the crypto. Bitcoin for a limited time to buy a luxury box. We'll speak with the team's president about the move as well as the countdown to opening day. First, let's get a check on the chips. Some of the pain the big names have caused investors lately They're not paying attention. Look at this. AMD down 19% from its highs. Nvidia 15% and Qualcomm off 21% from its high of the year. Dow's up 108. We're back in two minutes.
6: This is The Exchange on CNBC.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: All right. Welcome back. Well, you know that Bitcoin has been on an incredible run. You may not know how much, though. It is up more than a thousand percent in the past year. It's batting a thousand. But baseball fans in Oakland are probably rooting for it to tank. Why? Well, because the Oakland A's just announced they're selling full season access to one of their luxury suites for the price of one Bitcoin. And either way, the best part is that we can go to a game, even in California, albeit with limited attendance for now. Let's welcome in Dave Cavill. He is Oakland A's President. Dave, it's a, listen, as a longtime Angels fan, I'm, I apologize in advance of how this interview is going to go. I'm kidding. Always love watching Ricky Henderson run the bases. I'm dating myself. Why are you guys doing this? Is this some sort of a Bitcoin promo stunt, or are you guys true believers in crypto?
7: Well, we've had so many of our fans reach out and be interested in actually paying with bitcoin whether it's tickets or potentially even sponsors and so we thought this was a good way to test the market to see if there really was the interest level in transacting in the cryptocurrency as opposed to just using it as a store of value and we felt that a suite to the a's game for a whole season was a good place to start
2: and so what would a luxury suite, I don't know if you're allowed to say this on the air, Dave, what would a luxury suite normally cost? I'm trying to figure it out versus one Bitcoin and how much you're kind of potentially losing money or, or maybe making money if, if Bitcoin soars.
7: Yeah, it's, it's usually 64,000 for a full season suite for a whole year. And so the current price of Bitcoin, I think it's around 57,000. So it's at a little bit of a discount if you just paid with one Bitcoin but it did crest 60. So you're getting a little bit of a Bitcoin discount these days. So, you know, that's, I think, why we've had a lot of interest, over 100 inquiries, lots of folks signing up. And I think we'll probably have a transaction here today or tomorrow, or the first one go.
2: Would you, is it just one suite? Or like if you, people see this like, oh, man, man, I love the A's and I got a bunch of Bitcoin. Let's do it.
7: Yeah, we've set aside 10 suites for this. Um, so we have the ability to sell up to 10. And so we're hoping to see, you know, we'd we'd love to sell all 10 if possible. And we have between now and April 1st to actually do the transaction. And, you know, like I said, we've been hearing from a lot of our fans that they're interested in paying with cryptocurrency. And I think if you see this in baseball, you could see it anywhere in a mainstream location. So it's it's an important point in seeing if this is a real uh, way to transact uh, in the marketplace.
2: All right, let's talk baseball, shall we, Dave? Because I would love to come out there to Oakland, Alameda. Maybe I'll wear the Angels stuff as long as people aren't throwing stuff at me. It's fine. You've got very nice fans. I appreciate it. What's the season going to look – California's been, you know, sort of doing their own thing. I'm not going to judge either way. They're a little more closed than a lot of other states. What do you think the season is going to look like in May or August?
7: Well, we worked with the governor's office and the Alameda County authorities, the health officials, to basically set up a 20% opening plan, uh, which starts opening day, April 1st. So we'll have 20% capacity. And that can increase as the season goes on to 33 and then potentially 66. And hopefully at some point this year, maybe by the 4th of July, we could be fully open because we feel we have a safe plan. More people are getting vaccinated. Uh, we've been working hand in hand with the health authorities and We just want to get baseball back and people out to the ballpark having a great time.
2: Yeah, and and we know the science is pretty subtle around being outside. So I think that we've got that on our side as far as the safety levels are just exponentially higher than indoors as well. But you do play indoors. I mean, there's going to be there are you know, there are teams that play inside. I'm, I'm looking at you, Toronto. Have you guys had these conversations about how it may look from and by the way, are you even going to be able to go to Canada to play?
7: Well they're starting in in uh, Florida in Dunedin. So the Blue Jays are not playing in in uh, Canada to start the season. So we'll see how it Didn't know changes that. over time. So yeah, so and I think a lot of the teams who have dome stadiums are playing with them open for that very reason to make sure there can be, you know, open circulation and airflow which is really important to preventing the spread of COVID.
2: I'm not going to ask you to make some bold pronunciation about science or medicine and hopefully you know, we'll be in a much better situation. The numbers are looking good, fingers crossed. Do you think there's any chance at some point this season, I don't know, late September, Dave, or something, where you got a full stadium?
7: I think there is, and I think we're on that trajectory, and we want to do it in a safe way, both for our players, obviously for our fans, and for our staff. And We want to, you know, lead with the science and ensure that we do it in a safe manner. But I think it will happen this year, and I think that'll be a great moment to celebrate getting through the pandemic, and being able to go out, get a hot dog, hang out with your family, celebrate an A's win and a fireworks night afterwards. So that's what we're shooting for. There you go. I think it's a noble goal. You're making a lot of families
2: happy. I'm thinking about all those parents in California, especially in your area, still struggling with kids out of school. Take the kids to the ball game, Buy them some peanuts and Cracker Jack. We'll sing some songs. As long as it's not against the Angels, we'll do it. Dave, come on. We appreciate it, Dave. Cobble from the Oakland Thanks Days. For me. Really cool stuff. Best of, luck to, best of luck to the team and everybody this year, Dave. Thank you for joining us on CBC. Thank you so much. All right, take care. All right. Coming up and staying with California. It has been a long time since any winery or wine company tried to go public, but that's all changing. And delicious Duckhorn setting for an IPO and doing great. Remember IPOs? Well, the CEO does, and he's up next. And don't forget, if you are getting out, you can watch us on the CNBC app. Maybe at the ballpark. Watch the game. Watch Kramer. Do it all on the CNBC app. Download it today. Dow's up 140. We're back after this.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery.
2: All right, welcome back to the exchange, everybody. Let's check on your money right now. And stocks, they are mixed, but it's, it's been the trend that we have seen the last couple of weeks. You've got the boring old cyclicals, the banks, oil and gas, whatever. The Dow is up 153 points. But technology stocks, they continue to sell off. Yields rising. The 10-year yield popping today at 175 last time I checked. Data's pressuring valuations on names like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, the names you know. So the Nasdaq's down 1.5%. The Dow is up a half a percent. Industrials, financials, and materials are your leaders. As we talked about with Dom Chu, if you're not paying attention to the banks, Goldman Sachs stock is up 152% in 12 months. Goldman printing, money, technology, and energy are the biggest laggards right now. You've actually got crude oil is down a bit. A lot of concerns about what's happening in Europe. They're seeing cases rise in Italy and some other places. Remember, their vaccination rate is about a quarter of ours. And unfortunately, they are seeing a re rise in cases and some new lockdowns in countries like Italy as well. So, hopefully, they can get their vaccination program like we have getting going a little bit faster. All right, now to some of the movers this hour retail and reopening edition, if you will. Shares of cooking supply company Williams Sonoma sharply higher. Better than expected fourth quarter results. Demand for home furnishings continue to be a tailwind there. We're all locked in. We're all cooking, you know, trying to learn how to cook, whatever, in some cases. Retailer also seeing strength in stores where restrictions have been lifted. So you're either cooking at home or you're going to the mall. One of the two. AMC hire again today. The company reopening more theaters around America. Check this out. 98% of AMC's theaters will be open in some form, maybe capacity limited, whatever, but open as of tomorrow. Who would have thunk that just a couple of months ago? And airline stocks again in the green united trading at its highest level in a year bank of america credit card data shows people are starting to spend a lot of money on flights and tickets looking out at the future all right let's get a cnbc update now for that we go to real health solid for help
1: hi brian hello everyone the senate has confirmed xavier becerra as president biden's health secretary Becerra is now the first latino to head the department of health and human services a cardinal close to pope francis is defending the pope's ban on blessing same-sex unions That comes after some Catholic groups voiced strong opposition to the ban. A group of priests in Austria said that they were deeply appalled by the decree. And a Belgian bishop said that the decision is, quote, painful and incomprehensible. A weather satellite got an amazing view of those severe storms across Mississippi and Alabama. So those flashes there of lightning strikes and exactly they're apparently exactly what the geostationary lightning mapper was built to capture. Pretty cool. And with spring coming, scientists are setting new battle lines in the fight against murder hornets. They'll be setting up uh, thousands of traps to catch hornet queens before they can set up new hives. And to get all of your murder hornet news, be sure to watch the news with Shepard Smith. Brian, I'll send it back to you.
2: Okay, Rahel, Rahel, what's your take on giant bugs? Just give me your immediate reaction when I say giant bug.
1: Usually not my thing, but apparently Shep is very interested, and so you got to watch to learn more.
2: No, no, throw me on the Shep Show. I'll tell them why you don't. You know why? Because Cicada Brood X, 1.5 million cicadas are going to come out of the ground in New Jersey and D.C. per acre starting in May. You know 1. what that 5 is, 1.5 million per acre.
1: You know what that is? Random. What? But interesting. It, Mike, drop.
2: You're good. That's it. <laughs> RBI, Cicada Brood X. I love it. Rahel, thank you very much. Sure. <laughs> one and a half million cicadas per acre. It's disgusting. All right, now for your daily vaccine and health update. How's that for a transition? And the news does continue to improve, not in Europe, but here. In all, 74 million Americans have now had at least one shot. 40 million of the U.S. are now fully vaccinated, which, of course, doctors say means your chance of serious illness or death is maybe not zero But it's darn close. In all, 113 million doses have been administered so far. Even better, 38% of the highest risk population, those over 65, are now fully vaxxed. And though cases are popping up higher in a couple of states, Tip of Michigan and some others, here's the data point that really matters to most that we talk to. The CDC reporting hospitalizations are down 72% from their highs of early January. Listen to the experts and the science. Cases are key, but outcomes, hospitalizations, and fatalities are far more significant metrics to look at. Listen to the experts. All right, still ahead, the battle for Kohl's. While the stock has dug itself out of a deep hole, now some big money is starting to circle the retailer and they want changes. We'll speak with one of the investors about what they want from the Wisconsin company. But right now, as we go to break, it is, Show and tell time. We're going to show you today's chart. Ulta Beauty, and it is a beauty. It has been a rocket ship, up nearly 150% in one year. A lot of that credit goes to outgoing CEO Mary Dillon. Here she is in her own words
7: on how they managed through the lockdown. You have to do it all. But certainly through the pandemic, we went from having, you know, buy in line, pickup up in store already available to curbside. It's quite convenient in an off mall location, right, for a guest to come in and pick up their order. So we continue to see the, the role of both the store, which we're going to continue to build more stores for many years to come, as well as really ramping up our whole omnichannel capability.
2: All right, welcome back. Well, if you like wine, you know the name Duckhorn, known mostly for their reds, like Duckhorn Merlot, Decoy Cab, and Paradox Red Blend. Not that I would know. But now they will be known for something else, a stock, Duckhorn going public. No, not a SPAC, an actual IPO. Remember those? And shares, indeed, are moving higher with the fantastic ticker NAPA. How they got that, I have no idea. Joining us from the NYSE is Duckhorn Portfolio Chairman, ceo and president alex ryan uh, alex welcome good to have you on congratulations on an actual by gosh ipo big fan of your product but maybe too big of a fan of your product by the way uh why do the ipo route and not like everyone else just get in a spack
8: oh well thank you very much for having me um we're traditionalists for 40 years we've been building one of a kind a winery luxury winery asset and uh for us to control the message and control the performance, we thought a traditional route was, was part and parcel to our culture. So we controlled it from start to finish. We're very happy about where things are heading. And again, we're, we're luxury winemakers. So we like, we like control. We like messaging. We thought traditional route was the right way to go for us. Well, it's working out because the, the stock,
2: again, Napa, fantastic ticker, by the way, not sure how <laughs> you got it, is, 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 is higher. We have unfortunately seen in the pandemic and lockdowns, Alex, alcohol consumption in the home go up. It's been good for you guys, probably, but we're all ready to bust out. Have you done any analysis? Kind of, It's got to be probably impossible, but like what sales may look like in a year, given that a lot of us are just going to go out. Some people will be more reluctant.
8: I think, I think sales are going to be good for wine. You know, we've had an opportunity to share a lot of wine with our, with our close family at home. That's been a good thing. People have seeked out our wines, especially in the, in the grocery premise, off-premise off channel. We've had a lot of success there. We've also had an opportunity to introduce a lot of new products during this trying time. I think that's gonna be really sticky. I think we've, we've not only educated uh, the people who love our wine, but a lot of new people have had opportunity to try our wine, uh, you know, working through the issues of COVID. When they break out, when we all get out of our homes and go out to Main Street, I think we're gonna to continue to enjoy those brands who have provided us joy and comfort through the pandemic. You're also a travel and leisure
2: company, Alex. You're not just a winemaker. You've got vineyards and you've got tours and you've got, you know, destinations. And most of them, I think all of them right now, are closed. Uh, What is sort of, I don't know if you heard the Oakland A's president interview a couple of minutes ago saying he thinks they could have a full stadium sometime later this year. That's not too far from where you guys are. What do you foresee for travel and leisure? and that part
8: of your business. Correct. We're an experience-based um, business, right? People like our product, but they love the experience. Everyone wants to be part of luxury, part of Napa, and part of wine. We see people coming back. They're starting to come out of their homes. They're starting to come back. We have a lot of people in California, the sunny state here. Um, so people are going to start coming back, and I think they're going to come back and want bigger pieces of the wine experience as their lives, lives return to some type of normalcy. So we're really encouraged by those, those trends you speak of. Yeah. Yeah, and we
2: saw it with the Bank of America credit card data. I referenced, Alex, people are starting to buy airline tickets en masse, more than a million people traveling. Are you starting to see people call up and say, when can I come?
8: Yes, it's it's working. It's coming now. We're seeing it in springtime. And during a couple rainy spring days, people still wanted to come to the winery. They want experience. They want to enjoy experiences with their friends. And the wine country and the wine experience, there's no better way to do that with your your loved ones. So we're seeing the trend begin, and, and we're hoping and thinking there's a good chance it will hold uh, for the foreseeable future.
2: Uh, certainly hope so as well. Maybe maybe take a turn north if we can get out for an Oakland A's game. Alex Ryan of Duckhorn Portfolio, <laughs> Napa the ticker. Investors responding positively. Uh, Alex, congrats. Best of luck to you and your team. And uh, here's to a good spring and summer. Much better. Thank awesome. you very much. Yeah.
8: Enjoy a glass yes, of wine.
2: <laughs> All right. Oh, no, or two. All right ahead. Bed Bath & Beyond, Big Lots, and now Kohl's. Hmm, what do they all have in common? Well, they've all been targets of the investment firm McKellum. We're going to speak with them next about their current battle with the Kohl's board. And as we head to break, it is, of course, Women's History Month. And all month, we're spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors and friends. Here's Boston Private Chief Investment Officer Shannon Sacocia on Breaking Barriers.
1: We need to see more women in the seats that are meaningful in the corporate world. CFOs, CTOs, CEOs. And we need to no longer accept that as we break through a particular barrier, that we should be happy to be there, just happy to have a seat at the table. We need to keep our foot on the gas so that female leaders that come behind us can start from day one in making an impact.
2: All right. Welcome back. Let's talk about the fight over the retailer Kohl's recently saying no thanks to an investor group's attempt to seize control. of The board by placing nine members on it in late January, basically kicking nine off, putting their own nine in. Now, the group recently revised their portfolio last week, cutting that proposed slate of new directors down to five. Where do they stand right now? Well, Courtney Reagan is with us and joins us with the latest with a special guest in the fight and the proxy campaign court. Take it away.
9: Hi, Brian. So earlier this week, the activist group McCallum Capital Management, Legion Partners Holdings, Anchor Advisors, and 410 Capital sent their proxy statement to shareholders, including that narrowed board nomination done, quote, in absence of meaningful progress towards a resolution. The revised proxy campaign does nominate five to Cole's board, aiming to unseat five current members, including the chair. The letter noted historical and a performance saying it will continue unless there is a refreshed board that becomes elected. Kohl's has a website dedicated to its side, stating, quote, the activist investors campaign threatens Kohl's momentum and calls out a stock price up 170 percent from the time it detailed its strategy in October to early March. Further, the retailer says, quote, Kohl's board outmatches activist investors nominees and key skills. The company points out to CNBC, S&P increased its outlook for its debt to stable from negative just on Wednesday. Joining me now is one of those activists, Jonathan Duskin, CEO of McKellum Capital Management. He is also one of the five nominees for the Kohl's board. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me. There's been so much action, but one of the latest moves is a meeting I understand that you had with Kohl's CEO, Michelle Goss, earlier this week. What happened? Did you guys make any progress? Uh,
10: We had a wonderfully constructive conversation and if I could just take one step back, you know, I'd I, I, characterize this as a fight. Um, it's really not a fight. You know, we're the company's largest shareholder, and we're really here to help the company. It's a good company. We think we can help it become a great company. Uh, we have excellent, excellent nominees. we get a chance to talk about that. But uh, this was a conversation between Michelle and I to spend some more time discussing our views about the business. And uh, honestly, we have a lot more in common than we don't. And, um, you know, I, I think it was a very productive conversation, and we really focused on business and what we can do to make this uh, a great company.
9: So if you're aligned towards ultimate goals here, why did you then decline to meet with the board of directors? Coles said as much in a preliminary statement, a preliminary proxy statement that they filed this morning.
10: Well, it, it that wasn't entirely accurate Courtney. Um, what I said was, I, I think that The the board needed to do some more work in terms of understanding what the shareholders wanted. Uh, You know, these these campaigns um, really come down to what the shareholders want. We're we're one shareholder, you know, one of many. We're large, but obviously there's another 90-something percent that own stock. And um, I think it was really important that the board had an outreach program to the existing shareholders to hear what we believe they're going to hear, to hear what uh, pretty much we've been saying. And we think most of the shareholders are aligned with what we're saying. And I just, the, the board had, I don't believe, done that. And so I, I felt like there wasn't, in there was a better opportunity to have that conversation a little bit further down the road once they gained some more information and some more insights about how their shareholders were viewing this. Uh, you know, some of the things they say about their momentum or how much the stock is up. You know, just you know, misleading, right? The stock is up from the absolute COVID lows. Momentum is really the economy opening. You know, if you want to look back on any kind of time frame, one, three, five, ten, even twenty years, the stock has has underperformed. rather rather dramatically, and the results have been down dramatically. You've been down 44%. You know, when if you look back to 2001, March of 2001, the stock was at $50, give or take, where it was when we launched our campaign. So um, we thought it was more appropriate for for the board to actually do some outreach to shareholders and really hear what their constituents had to say, and then we could come back and hopefully have a more constructive conversation.
9: So Kohl's have said that your goals lean more towards short termism and financial engineering. And there was also a Wall Street Journal article that sort of pointed in the same direction, saying it was short term. So I guess in general, explain to me why that's wrong, how you intend to create value and how long you hold a position on average before you move on, because it does seem that you're launching one of these activist campaigns about one every year or so so is this a short-term boost for the stock price for you to make your money and move on
10: uh that's a great question for i appreciate you it so i get that out of context that uh, the reality yeah. is we're, we're a different type of um fund and organization We're more, more like private equity in the public markets if you look at something like city trends we've owned it for multiple multiple years 2016 we've owned city trends it created a tremendous, tremendous amount of value um by uh, by getting appropriate uh, skills, appropriate retail expertise in that boardroom, um, yeah, you know, what was really lacking, City Trends, frankly. But we believe this board needs more retail expertise in the boardroom. So I don't know why they think uh, how they can characterize us as short-termers. Um, you know, we, we make uh, one investment per year. It doesn't mean we we sell it the next year. We make one investment per year, um, and we hold them multiple multiple years. Uh, and we really are here to create long-term shareholder value. I don't really see how anybody that owns 9.5% of a company can do anything on a short-term basis. We have to hold this for a long time to create value. So, you know, many years down the road when we're exiting the position, people that were selling people were excited to buy the stock. So I think those are mischaracterizations. Mm-hmm. I find it ironic that they're calling us short-termers when they're highlighting their performance in their stock for the last five or six months. <laughs> That's obviously short-term. They're highlighting the momentum their business has, which is really economy reopening and not so much their own business um, momentum, uh, uh, you know, right. over the last few as, you know, and, and considering our short term, I think it's a little bit disconnected.
9: Well, Jonathan, we are out of time for this one today, but make sure to stay close. We're going to follow this one closely. I believe a date now has been set for the annual shareholder meeting. Jonathan Duskin of McKellen, thank you very much.
2: It's the Battle of Menominee Falls, Courtney. Thank you very much. All right, coming up. The pandemic caused a logistics nightmare for many companies across the nation trying to move goods. Now, enter Transfix. Maybe the Uber of trucking, if you will. We'll speak with the CEO about the road back this year. Speaking of trucking, transportation index hitting an all time high today. Ryder, JB Hunt, American Airlines, which is not a truck, but you know, you get it. And Norfolk Southern, also not a truck, but similar. Anything that moves things or people is up today. We're back after this. Well, one year after the pandemic first hit, we are still facing supply disruptions in the supply chain. Enter freight startup Transfix, companies using technology to connect shippers with carriers to help speed things up and cut costs. Names like Target, Unilever, BJ's and Wayfair some of their clients as well. Joining us now is Lily Shen, president and CEO of Transfix. Lily, thank you very much. This is an industry and I don't want to, I've got friends in the industry. I don't want to offend them. That was kind of stuck in the past for a long time, right? I mean, a guy, a truck, they move things around. What has changed? Where did you identify that that hole in this industry was?
11: That's a great question, Brian. And thanks for having me on uh, as you said, you know the industry has, uh, you know, there's a lot going on in the industry. A lot has actually been manual and and highly inefficient over time. And the role of technology and data has truly transformed the ways in which people truly think about supply chain. And being digital first has become more important than ever. Uh, a lot of businesses during COVID last year who weren't prepared to be digital um, did not do well, and some many went under. And those who were really leaning into technology truly thrived. Uh, E-commerce, you know, increased 44% year over year. A number of supply chain executives have also been investing in technology across the board. And working with companies such as Transfix to really lead things forward. So would you compete
2: with a Landstar or an XPO or... Would you complement that type of either trucking or logistics business? Where do you fit into the your own supply chain?
11: Sure. So, you know, I would say that uh, it's it's both, right? I mean, I think that ultimately what we are doing is bringing together shippers and really connecting them to carriers. We're we're enabling carriers to be able to access freight much more dependably, much more consistently and reliability, reliably and you know, we're really enabling shippers to be able to access capacity in a far more streamlined way.
2: You know, we were down in the Port of Charleston, Lily, about, I don't know, six weeks ago, showing how the container industry is just all sorts of screwed up, right? There's ships off the coast, empties being sent back. Where do we stand right now? When you see it, what are some of the problems that we are still seeing from this incredible surge in imports, in fact, Christmas items, we're still coming into the port of Charleston as of a month ago. And I don't mean for <laughs> <There's>, next <nice> Christmas.
11: <laughs> there's, a, there's certainly been a backlog. And over the course of the last year, as you can imagine, there's been a ton of volatility. And you know, during a year, we were, we've also seen extreme highs and extreme lows. And you know, the, the truth is it's the nature of freight. It, it's highly volatile. You know, things are constantly changing. There is a backlog, but we're actually seeing very strong demand. And with the customers we're working with, uh, you know, we're continuing to see tremendous growth and projecting strong growth this year. There's a lot of optimism.
2: Yeah. and, and, And you know what? A big thanks to everybody on your side and in the trucks, the women and men who, by the way, when everyone was fleeing here, you guys were coming in. And these truckers, really unsung heroes that got no attention, putting themselves at risk. Lily Shen with Transfix. Lily, thank you. Appreciate it. Have a great day.
1: Thank you. All right. That does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.